God. Two weeks ago, we began a, a, a series which was to lead up to Christmas, and I shared with you that back then that, that we typically what I've done is, and we've done uh, before, is just we don't do a big uh, Christmas series, but usually have a Christmas message on Christmas Day or whenever our services. But really felt this, this year we needed to, to do some things to lead up to it. God knows us far better than we know ourselves, and God knows that we need preparation. We need, our, we need something to get our attention. <clears throat> There's an old story about a, 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 an Amish uh, uh, grandfather that was, uh, had his grandson with him, and they were going to take the mule and hitch it up to the, the, the plow, and before he hitched it up, he took, he took a piece of wood and he hit the mule in the side of the head. And the grandson says, what did you do that for? He says, well, before I talk to him, I've got to get his attention. <clears throat> and sometimes we're like that with God. God's got to get our attention. So when God is sending His Son into the earth, He doesn't just drop Him in the earth. There are hundreds of years of prophecy preparing for it. But then right before it, God sends a messenger, John the Baptist, but he is the voice crying in the wilderness, make way for the Lord, make way for the Word of God, make way, make your hearts right. And he preached a message of, of repentance, which is, re, which is sorrow for our sins, because that's what's opened the door to receive the grace that God has for us. So there's a pattern there. So I really felt led this Christmas season to just set him, instead of just doing a Christmas message, uh, that to lead up to it by talking, spending some time talking about what this is all about. And we spent two weeks ago, I was, wasn't able to be here last week, Pastor Ray filled in so ably for me, but two weeks ago we began to talk about uh, uh, what is Christmas really all about. And I know if, you know if I asked for a show of hands or we passed out a slip of paper, you'd all pass the test. We know it's, uh, Jesus is the reason for the season. But do we really know that? Do we live that out all through the rest of our days? Do, has the impact of what God did for us and what, what it means about God, has that really had an impact on us? And so this is what we began to talk about. What is Christmas really about? And of course, as my wife shared so well a few minutes ago, it's a season for giving. But why? And, and what is our model? Why do we give? So we went back and we began to look, we began to look at what the Scriptures say. So we're going to go to John chapter 3, the most famous verse in the Bible probably. John 3.16, I'm sure most of you know it by heart. But we began to look at this, and I, don't, I could get bogged down here. It's a good place to get bogged down, but there's somewhere I want to get to this morning to set it up for next week. Don't miss next week. Next week may be one of the more powerful services we've ever had here. There's just an excitement in me for what God wants to do next week. Next week. Praise God. John 3.16, so for four, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. What we looked at is these words, for God so loved the world that He gave. The word so in there, and I've done Christmas messages on this before, changes the whole focus of that verse from teaching us a fact of what God did to talking about who God is and what God's heart is. Because the word so means God's trying to, God's telling us through what He did, what He is like, how much He loved us. You take the word so out and it just gives an historical fact. God loved us and He gave His Son. But this is telling us how much God loved us. How much God loves us. And, and, and who God loved, He loved the world. That's why the title of this series is God So Loved the World That. 
Because this kind of love, this I taught you two weeks ago, that this word love is the word agapeo, agape, which we get the, the verb gape from, which is a kind of, was a word that was almost never used in classical Greek. But it's used in the New Testament. It's the Holy Spirit really defined the word. And it's a selfless, unselfish, sacrificial love that's not based on any value that you have in yourself, but it's based on the character and the nature of the one that gave it. And I don't have time to go back over all that, but this kind of love cannot sit still. This kind of love is by its own nature compelled to do something. And so God's love, this love that God is, 1 John, I think it's chapter 4, says God is love. He's not full of love. It's who He is. Love is who God is, and God is what love is. This kind of love. God's love is such, He's capable of loving the whole world. And that term world doesn't just mean whoever's alive today. It's who's ever, ever existed the capacity of God's love covers everybody and beyond that. And that's hard for us to grasp because our mind is used to thinking in little t- terms. And so I remember when our, our, our first son was born, just, you know, love, never had a child before, so in love with our, our, our first son who's now grown up and he's, he's helping he- me here, he's my executive here. And, but then my wife three and a half years ago tells me she's pregnant and now the thought is, do I have enough love for a second child? Well, I discovered when she came along, I had more than enough love for both children. And then about, what, six years later, we discovered she was pregnant again. And this time it was with twins. And we were done having children. We were in our late 30s. But I found that I had enough love for all of our children. See, this kind of love isn't limited to say, well, I, I can only love these guys that are sitting on the first row. God's love is so awesome. And the fact, the nature of this love is the more you give it away, the more it grows. Because our thinking is, well, if I, if, I love, if I start loving my neighbors, then I may not have enough for my family. No, the, the truth is, the more you give this away, the more it grows in you. And because the fountain of that life, the fountain of that love is living in you. So, for God so loved the world that He, he gave... This kind of love has to give. There's a teacher I listened to a few years ago, and we're gonna, I'm going to do something in, early in the year that's very different that I've never done before on a Sunday. And it, I'm going to show a video series. And I don't normally, would not normally do that, but this is so impactful, so significant, and this man says this so much better than I ever can, that, that I'm going to do this in the beginning of the year, not the first of the year, but pretty soon after that. And one of the things he says is the most significant word in the Bible, he asked the, his audience, what's the most significant? And people said, love, and that's true. And, you know, faith, that's true. He said, but the most significant word in the Bible is gave. Because all that love, all that compassion, all that generosity, all that God is would mean nothing unless He gave it. So what's in you means nothing until it's given. For the kind of love that God has, has to be given. And it's given to people that don't deserve it. It's not based on our value. So we looked at that. So we're going to move on from that because we could spend a year on that. So what God gave. God loved so the world so much that he, he gave. The measure of God's love 
is the value of what he gave. In Isaiah 43, there's a passage in there where God is addressing Israel. And God is talking to Israel who was going through, about to go through a very tough time. And God says into there, he says, I formed you, I created you, I formed you. Fear not, I redeemed you, I've called you by your name, you're mine. When you go through the waters, I will be with you, and the rivers will not overflow you. When you go through the fires, you will not be burned. For Then he says, for you are precious in my sight, and I have given men's lives for you. He was telling them, I gave other nations to give you the promised land. And as I was reading through that, when I was going through my treatments, because my wife gave me that verse, and it really meant so much to me, the Lord spoke to me and says, I loved Israel enough that I gave nations for them. I love you enough, I gave my son for you. He goes on and says, because you're precious in my sight. So the measure, the proof of God's love for us is what he was willing to pay for you. I didn't share this two weeks ago, but I remember hearing somebody say years ago that if God loved, and I heard somebody just say it the other day, if, if, I, if you were the only person, everybody else was perfect and you were the only sinner, God still would have sent his son to die just for you. And that, that caused my mind to just, you've got to be kidding me, that he would have sent Jesus just for me. And I said, God, you've got to show me a scripture for that. And immediately a scripture came to me. Jesus told his disciples, he said, a true shepherd will leave the 99 that are safe to go find the one that's lost. That's how broad his love is and how personal his love is for you and me. Okay. So we began to look at we're going to go to John chapter 1 now. This is my this is this is my this is God's version from heaven of of Christmas. All the others in in Luke and in Matthew talk about what happened down here. This is talking about it from God's side. In the beginning, that's the beginning of the creation, was the Word. And that Word is, means the full expression of who God is. And the Word, the full expression of God's character, nature, and His will, was with God. And the Word, the full nature, expression of God's character, nature, and Word, was God. Verse 2. He, so now we know the Word as a person, was in the beginning with God. Verse 3. All things were made through Him, the second person of the Godhead, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Let's go down to verse 14. In Him, when well, that's verse 4, and the Word, this is Christmas, the Word, the full expression of who God is, the full expression of God's character, God's nature, and God's will, we couldn't understand that. We couldn't relate to that. We couldn't see because man is so carnal. So the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The title of the series is For God So Loved the World That. The title of the today's message is Wrapped in Flesh. Christmas packages are wrapped. We wrap them up. My, my, my wife's father... I was going to say my wife's husband. That's me. <laughs> my father-in-law and my mother-in-law 
it was so, so exciting every Christmas because this, this package would come from them. And they were wonderful giving people. And boy, could they wrap presents and boy, could they bake. <laughs> Even the cookies came in these wonderful packages that were just, I mean, they were works of art. And so they wrapped them up because the, the, wrapping, the wrapping showed the care. They didn't just throw a bunch of things in a box and ship them off. They took care to wrap them. And his, her, 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 her husband, my, my, her father was, I mean, so particular, the bow had to be, and he would even put paper uh, underneath the bow in the package so it wouldn't get squished. So that when you took it out, it was exactly, I mean, it was so much time and love put into that, into the wrapping. Into the wrapping. And the Word became flesh. God wrapped Himself, His gift, to mankind in flesh. Well, here's the difference. A Christmas package gets your attention because of the wrapping, the colorful paper, the beautiful bows. And so I've gotten some presents that the, the wrapping was nicer than the package was inside. But here the wrapping of God wrapped in flesh makes Him look ordinary. There was nothing spectacular from a human side about this package, this wrapping. I mean, you've all seen these, these works of art and pictures of these works of art where you've got, you know, rainbows in the sky and halos around jo- uh, uh, Jesus in the manger and, you know, glorious lights. That's not what it was like. That's not what it was like. He was born as a little baby, just like you and I were, except he was placed in a feeding trough. I assume you were not. And although angels spoke and although, uh, although um, uh, uh, supernatural things happened, those things had to happen because the wrapping he was in was not spectacular. But oh, was it supernatural. When John Angelina was here several weeks ago on Wednesday night, and I've heard this before, it's so good, there's a difference between spectacular and supernatural. Spectacular is, wow, everybody can see it. Supernatural is not always so obvious but it's of God. You can have spectacular things that are not of God and supernatural things are always going to be of God. Okay, so, so we're going to talk this morning about this wrapping that He came in and why this is so important, why this is a measure of God's love. And so to do that, we're going to, um, we're going to go and begin to look at how God prepared for that. Well, let's go to Philippians 2. This is where we ended last time. Philippians 2. So what we see now is the Word is the second person of the Godhead. All of God's attributes, all of God's glory, all of God's power, because he, he was a representation of all that God the Father is. All His glory, all His power, all His magnificence. And if you want to get a taste of what it's like, read the book of Revelation. When He appears again and all His glory and majesty. Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind in you, which also is in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, that means He was God. 
did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he's saying there, he said, he had every right to be considered equal with God. Why? Because he was. So the Word, the second person of the Godhead, was equal with the Father. Don't ask me to explain the Trinity. No man can fully explain it. But it's God in three different forms, but it's all God. To be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation. That's a little, that's a little hard to grasp if you just read through it quickly, because it says, in sounds like some translations say he humbled himself. But the Greek word for that means to empty out. True humility is an emptying out of yourself. It's not a pushing down of yourself. It's not a denial of who you are. It's an emptying out of all who you are for the sake of somebody else. So he emptied himself of all those divine attributes. He emptied, emptied himself of his glory, of his majesty. He emptied himself of his power. He emptied himself of all the divine attributes that he had because he was the second person of the God. And we read back in John that not all things were made by him and for him. Without him there was nothing made that was made. John 1 goes on down to talk about the irony. He came unto his own and his own didn't receive him. And he made them. We talked two weeks ago about the cross that he had to carry. The whips with which he was beaten. He created them. He didn't fashion that whip. He didn't cut that cross. But the materials from which they came ultimately trace back to his creation. We're talking about the measure of God's love. How far God was willing to go. And the Word became flesh. That's really what we're talking about today. And dwelt among us. He emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant. We'll stop there, because we're going to talk about this next week. Now we're going to go back. I told you earlier that when God's going to do something significant... He does a preparation for it to get people's attention. He lays a foundation because He knows what we're like. He knows we're a little slow up here. Now you may be quick in school, you may be quick at work, but compared to God, we're slow. We're slow to get things. And I've said people say, well, you've preached that same thing before. Yeah, well, we didn't get it. (laughs) I've heard things over and over again. There are some things I'm seeing now I heard for the first time 35 years ago and they're hitting me at a level I've never seen before and they're impacting me at a level I never felt before so we need to hear it we need to see it so God laid a foundation we don't have time to go back over all the in the Old Testament God would give prophecies and we looked at some talked a little bit about that before last time God would give a prophecy and the purpose of the prophecy was often for the immediate issue that Israel was facing but then there was often a longer term application of this. So we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 7. He humbled himself to take on flesh. Now what he's going to do, think about this, this is the main point today. We're talking about how, how much God loves us. To, to understand this we've got to take a step back. When God created the, the, the earth, God, and we talked about this two weeks ago, why did God do this? Why, he created a man and then he brought out of the man a woman and brought them together. Why did God do that? Because the nature of God's love is He has to have someone to give to. He has to have someone to give to. Somehow He wasn't satisfied with the angels. He has to have someone to give to, so He created us to be in a relationship with Him that He could pour His love and His blessings out and that we could respond back with our love and our blessing back on Him. 
And that's the way it was in Genesis 1 and 2. He created a beautiful place to put them. He gave them a job, but it was an easy job because everything He gave them was designed to cooperate with them. And then Satan comes in and turns the whole thing upside down or gets them to turn the whole thing upside down. So what God did is when God put man in that garden, He gave him responsibility over the earth. And when He gives you responsibility, He gives you the authority to carry out that responsibility. So God gave man a responsibility over the earth and God gave man authority over the earth. Now here's how much God honors what He does. When Satan came to steal it from the man, God didn't come in and say, whoa, whoa, time out, up, this isn't right. Give it back to him. God honors the decision they made. God gives us free will. And God honored, respected the free will decision they made to rebel. But a God was, had a plan to rescue. He announced that 15 verses later. But God, in order to execute the plan to redeem mankind back, would not violate what He did when He created the earth and gave it to them and responsibility to them. So God, in order to come and redeem it, had to come into humanity the same way you and I do. Think about this. God, who can do anything, wouldn't just change things and say, well, I'm just coming down here. I can do whatever I want. He honored the decision to rebel that that man and woman made. And God came under the system He created. In order to become among us, He had to be born the same way you and I were born. We're talking about humility. We're talking about humility and the degree to which God loves us. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign, and behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel. Leave that up there for a minute. A sign that this is God coming to the earth. Because without it being God, that doesn't happen. Even though I'm sure there's some ladies that have said, I don't know how this happened. We know how it happened. But God is saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to be born as a man. And I'm going to explain to you why it had to be a virgin in a minute. Behold, the Lord Himself will give you a sign, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and, she shall, and he shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is among us. God is with us. So this is clearly a prophecy of what's going to happen when God comes to be among us. He's going to be born, conceived in a virgin, a woman that's never known a man. Isaiah 9, verse 5. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Stop there a second. I never thought of this before until I was listening to somebody a few weeks ago. 
here, I've I got to explain to you what we're talking about here. In order to operate in this earth with any kind of authority, you have to have a body. Re- remember when Jesus, when Jesus is confronted with the, ma- the madman of Gadara that was full of a thousand demons, and he's ready to, to cast them out? The demons crowd and they plead with him, don't let us go out into the waterless atmosphere, send us into those pigs. Because they had to have a body in order to function. This is why Satan tries to oppress you. Satan can't walk around in this earth and do whatever he wants. He needs people to work through. Some of you say, I know some of those people. <laughs> That's why in, 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 in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Your problem isn't your boss. Your problem isn't your spouse. It's not. No, it's not. We wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers in high places, heavenly places. So the spirits, in order to operate in this world, whether they're demonic spirits or angelic spirits, have to operate through somebody wearing flesh. And I'm time to really draw that out. So listen to this. God, in order to operate in this earth, also had to operate through a body. So unto us a child is born. The child refers to the part of Jesus that came from Mary. What did he get from Mary? His body. What did Jesus get from Mary? His physical body. He didn't get it from Joseph. Because it wasn't Joseph's seed that was conceived in Mary's womb. We're going to talk about who it was in a minute. So the the human part of Jesus, His physical body, came from Mary. A child is born. But unto us, a son is given. Jesus was not Joseph's son. Jesus was the son of God. It's called the incarnation. God's son became a human taking on flesh that he got from Mary. Everybody understand so far? Okay. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. I'm going to start singing in a minute. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, verse 7. Is it there? I may have taken it out. That's okay. I think I took it out. I did. Fine. Let's go to Luke 1. Now let's see what happens here. Christmas story, but we're looking at it from God's perspective, a measure of how much God loved and what He did in the expression of that love. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Familiar story. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. So we have the prophecy in the Old Testament and now it's being carried out. And God sends a messenger. We had a play based on this last year. It was a great play of what the practicalities of this must have been like. Because these were real people. 
to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. The virgin's name was Mary. Verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice! Highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was blessed and excited and said, Wow! No, she was troubled at this saying and considered what manner of greeting was this. It's like... People say, Paul, I wish I heard a word from the Lord. I'm not sure I want a word from the Lord. Because usually there's a reason why God's got to give you a word. The few times I've had some really, I've heard God's voice, it was because there was something coming. He knew I needed to know what was coming. And so this angel, by the way, he's one of the archangels. This is just some flunky. God sent an archangel down there to talk to her, to appear to her. She was troubled and said, what kind of greeting is this? In other words, what's up? And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. This doesn't sound like good news so far. And you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua. Verse 32. And he shall will be great and will be called the Son of Can you imagine a teenage girl? She's not well known. She's a meek, probably 15, 16 years old, they say, maybe younger now. She's betrothed to this man, Joseph. And an angel appears and says, You're highly favored, and you will have conceived in you the Son of God. There's a wonderful Christmas song called Mary Did You Know? Yes. You know that song? Oh, that when you kiss, kiss the baby's face, you're kissing God. Wow. And he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Go on. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Wow. And Mary said to him, Wait a minute. Slow down. Time out. There's a small detail you've overlooked. How can that be? I don't know a man. I'm a virgin. I've never been had a physical relationship with a man. How, how, how can that be? Now, understand this little side note here. If you look earlier, an angel appears to Zacharias, who was Elizabeth's husband, while he's serving in the temple. And Elizabeth had been barren. But she was there married, so his wife knew a man, him. And he appears and speaks to him that your wife is going to conceive and have a child, and he opens his mouth to question. The angel says, oh, we've got to do something here. If we don't shut this guy's mouth up, he's going to give this away with his words. There's another whole lesson with that. She says, okay, you're not going to speak again until the child's born. So he was questioning, and now she's questioning. What's the difference? What's the difference? She wasn't questioning God. She's trying to process this. She wasn't saying, this can't be. 
She's saying, I don't understand this. See, God knows if you don't, because He knows how small our thinking is. How can this be since I don't know a man? We better move on. And the angel answered and said to her, You may not know a man, but the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and the power of the Most High, of the Highest, will literally engulf you. That's what that word means. Will impregnate you. In your womb, not a seed from a man, but the seed that comes from God. Therefore also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So the seed planted in the womb of a virgin human teenage girl wearing flesh, the seed, the nature part that comes from the seed didn't come from Joseph or any human man. It came via the Holy Spirit from God Himself. Now, let's talk about what this means. We're we're talking about how far God was willing to go to do this so it would work. The Son of God at one time is in all His glory over all this creation and I don't know how this happens but He let it all go stopped whatever He was doing and now He's conceived in as an embryo in the womb of a teenage girl that nobody knows except God. For nine months, just like you, just like me, this life in her began to multiply and to grow, began to develop eyes and began to develop fingers, began to develop internal organs just the way you did in your mother's womb. And then at the right time, and you know the story, he's brought forth. And he looks just like any other baby. I don't mean this in any disrespectful, but she had to change his diapers. You realize that, don't you? There were no shortcuts here. She had to, she had to feed him. Think about this. If they neglected him, we're talking about how much God, how far God was willing to go and submit himself to us because of how much he loves us. If, if this is God's plan of salvation, this is God's son. Imagine if, if they failed and didn't take care of him. We're going to see an incident in a minute. This is how far God was willing to go to do it the right way because if He took a shortcut, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. He had to grow up. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. I love this verse. We're going to start in verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year for the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. 
And when they'd finished the days as they returned, the boy, Jesus, lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. Supposing he'd been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among the relatives and acquaintances. Get this, because they traveled in large groups. So it wasn't that they were neglectful. They're just, they're assuming like some of our events around here. We, just, we, all, we know everybody, the kids are going to be okay. And so they're walking along, they're going along about a day's journey. And after a while, you know, somebody must have fed him. You know, where, where, where's Jesus? Oh no, we've lost God's son. <laughs> Imagine the panic. So what do they do? They've got to go back. Verse 45, so when they could not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. Notice an angel wasn't pointing out, saying, Hey, guys, whoa, wait a minute. Back there, you forgot my son. <laughs> God entrusted them with the responsibility. Ooh. God entrusts us with responsibilities. Verse 46. Now it was that after three days they found him in the temple, which means they didn't look there right away. Sitting in the midst of the teachers. Now listen to this. This is God's son. Twelve years of age in a human body. Both listening to them. And asking them questions. You'll see why in a minute. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and the answers. Next verse. So when they saw him, this is his parents, they were amazed and his mother said to him, isn't this typical of a mother, what would you do this to us for? Look what you put us through. He could have said, well if you had your eye on me this wouldn't have happened. He didn't know, I'm going. Why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Verse 49. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Don't you, didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? So here's what's happening. Go on to verse 5. And they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. I love it. Stop here a second. Almost 13 years earlier, Gabriel appears to her and says, you're going to conceive, God is going to conceive in your womb, the Son of God. And, and, and this is, He's the Messiah. Almost 13 years later, she's forgetting these things. Because she's saying, why'd you do this to me? They did not understand when He said, I must be about my Father's business. They didn't understand that. The statement which He spoke. Next verse. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. Think about this. God sat in the temple and listened to teachers teaching him. He sat, God sat under teachers. Why? Because his mind had to develop the same way your mind had to develop. How did this little boy discover who he was? Was it the halo over his head? 
No, there wasn't a halo over his head or everybody in the village would have known, <laughs> that's God's son. But they got offended at him when he started in his ministry because they said, wait a minute, this is, we know this kid. He grew up among us. It's Joe and Mary's kid. I'm trying to bring it into these parlance. He sat under the teachers. He had to learn. He had to learn who he was. And how did he learn that? By reading the scriptures and listening to the teachers who taught about the Messiah. And somewhere along the line, it would resonate within him. Paul uses the expression in Romans 8, the Spirit bore witness with him. He wasn't filled with the Spirit yet, but his spirit nature, which came from God, bore witness with the words he wrote. But his mind had to be renewed. It had to be trained and taught who, who he was and why he was here. But look at this. He's aware by this time that God is his father and he has a business to do for his father, a work to do for his father. But he went back with his parents and he was subject to them. That word means obedient. He was subject to them But his mother kept all these things in her heart, verse 52. And Jesus increased. If you're increasing in something, that means where you were yesterday is not, you got more of it today. So Jesus didn't just appear and knew everything all the time. I was, I was raised in church, that we kind of had that impression. Well, of course. Of course Jesus knows what's going to happen because He's God's Son and God knows everything. But He gave that up. He emptied Himself of that. He emptied Himself of that. That means He had to grow in wisdom. God set aside all He knew. Think about that. There was a time in my life, a lot of time, I couldn't, you know, the more knowledge I got, the better, the more I was, was impressed with myself. The better I could think, the more I was impressed with myself. And until one point I realized this wasn't getting me any closer to God, it was more keeping me away from God, because I was taking pride in what I knew, instead of developing a relationship with the one that, who I knew. And I literally made a conscious decision, Lord, I'm going to set all that aside, you can use it as you want, I just want to pursue a relationship with you. He set it aside. Okay, we've got to move on. Oh, do we have to move on? Okay. He did no miracles. Nothing supernatural. He was just... He was a, a, a good boy, but there was nothing astounding about him. He didn't sin, but there was nothing, you know, he wasn't, you know, at the age of six, praying for, you know, his next-door neighbor's dog and healing the dog, and then at the age of 10, he was raising dead bunnies, and he was, you know, he wasn't doing those things. He wasn't, he did nothing like that. We know that for several reasons. First of all, when he comes back to his own hometown, they don't receive him, because they don't, why would we believe in him? And also in John 2, the, turning the water into wine, it says that's the first miracle he ever did. But what happens is he comes down, we're going to pick up in, um, uh, he, he, We're going to pick up in Matthew, thir Matthew 3. Everybody following this? Okay. Matthew 3, verse 13. 
Jesus came from Galilee to John. Now he's, a, he's an adult male. He's 30 years old. To John. This is John the Baptist. We referred to him before. He came to John to be baptized by him. Now remember what John's baptism is. It's a baptism of repentance for sin. Now, Jesus wasn't supernatural, but had He sinned yet? No, He never did. The Bible tells us He never sinned. He fulfilled the law. So He's coming to submit to a baptism for repentance, and yet He has nothing to repent over. Verse 14, And John tried to prevent Him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Allow me, permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, to fulfill the requirements of the law. Jesus submitted to the requirements of the law even though he had nothing to be baptized for, he could have stood there and said, I don't need to do this. I've never done anything wrong. But the law required you to do this, and so he submitted to it. He says, permit me to do it so for now. Because he's saying earlier, I, would, I need to be baptized by you. I know who you are. I need to be baptized by you. Elsewhere he says, I'm not fit to untie the thongs of your sandals. So here you've got Jesus who's holy, who's never sinned, submitting himself to John the Baptist's ministry because it was what the law prescribed. We're talking about how far God came. This is the creator of the universe. This is the word of God. Submits to a man to be baptized by him. Then he allowed him. Let's read on. And when he'd been baptized, when he'd been obedient, when he'd submitted, Jesus came up immediately out of the water, and behold, the heavens were opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom... I am well pleased. Now that he's fulfilled the preparation, God is going to deposit in him the third part of the, God, of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Why? Why? Because Jesus was a prototype for the church. Born of flesh, but conceived in him was the seed of God to become a child of God, a son of God on the inside and then empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit. And what are you? A man, a woman with flesh in whom God has conceived his seed of a child, his child. And we're not empowered by the second, the attributes of the second person of the Godhead. We're empowered by the same Holy Spirit that empowered and enabled Jesus when he came up out of the water. And every miracle Jesus did from that time on was done by the anointing of the Spirit of God who was in him. Luke chapter 4, and we'll bring this to a close. So what we've seen is he's, he, he was this God come in the flesh, 
had to grow, submit and grow up as a baby, had to learn and submit to his parents and the rabbi, the teachers. And now we've seen he submitted to John the Baptist. We're talking about he humbled himself, John the Baptist. Luke chapter 4. And now the, the test. So he's filled with the Holy Spirit now. Verse 1. And Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and he was led into the wilderness being tempted for 40 days by the devil. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does is lead him into the wilderness to be tempted. I thought the Lord's Prayer says, lead us not into temptation. This word means a testing. So here's what's going on. What's this all about? God, for the first time now, is wearing flesh. And He's been doing it for 30 years now, but now He's empowered from on high with the Holy Spirit. He's about to launch out into ministry. And, 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 and in Hebrews 5, it says, Jesus learned obedience through the things that He went through. He had to learn how to be obedient. Why? Because for the first time, God's wearing flesh. And the only avenue devil, the devil has at you or at any human being is through our flesh. And his flesh was not, he was not like you because he didn't have in, his nature inside was to be obedient, but that nature's living in flesh that's susceptible to temptation. So now the Spirit of God leads him in the wilderness to be trained how to deal with that flesh. Isn't that interesting? The first thing he has to do is learn to get his, keep his flesh under control. His flesh was not out of control like ours. He had to learn how to keep it when it was tested. Oh, wow, we've got to quickly go. Three tests. Let's go, just go down through verse 8. Um... Oh, okay. So verse, um, let's go, I'm sorry, I misled you there. Um, back to verse 3. And the devil said to him, he's, he's gone without food for 40 days, and he says he's hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, I've got to be careful because we could get into what this is trying to do here. Command this stone to become bread. Meet your need. Take the power that you've now got and use it to meet your need. Put it back up there. Keep them up there. If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread so that you may eat it. Notice he starts by getting him to try to question who he is. Prove who you are. Notice what Jesus said. This is the temptation. Verse 4. And Jesus answered him saying, It is written. He didn't argue with him. What happened in the garden, Satan came in to pull them away from God to, by getting them to reason for themselves. Now he's coming to do the same thing with the second Adam. Jesus is the second Adam. And instead of arguing with him or debating with him, all Jesus said is, it's written. He doesn't do anything but speak the word. He completely submitted 
to the Word and what the Word says. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't argue. He is submitted. So here we see God in the flesh now has to submit himself to temptation by the devil. And we don't have time this morning to go through all of them. But he's tempted to meet his physical need here. He's tempted in the next one to give a shortcut because the devil says to him, if you're the son of God, God, I'll give you all that you came to get. I'll give you back the authority you've come to win. All you've got to do is bow your knee to me and I'll give you everything. I'll give you dominions over the earth. And obviously he had it to give. And Jesus said, it's written, you shall worship the Lord and Him only. And then he tries to get him to tempt God. And Jesus' answer each time is, it's written. So here, the Son of God, now about to go into public ministry, is being tested, submitted himself to being tested by the devil. Wow. 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 And I love the ending verses. It says, And he returned from the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. The power could not be safely released through him until he had gone through the testing of his flesh. And that's true of you and me. And we've been praying and calling God, where's the power? Pour the power on us. Maybe God can't pour the power out on us yet because our flesh isn't passing the tests. We'll use it for our own purposes. Satan has knows he can pull us away. For God so loved the world that He was willing to step out of heaven, lay aside His glory, be conceived in the womb of a teenage virgin, grow up in her womb the way you and I did. He went through everything you and I go through. No shortcuts. Learned to grow in who He was and wisdom and understanding and knowledge. Wait until the right time. Submit to John the Baptist into that ministry. To submit to the law. He's the lawgiver. But he submitted to the law. And ultimately, submit to being tested by the devil. That's how much he's loved us. And then where we'll go next week is the ultimate, the ultimate proof of that love is that having gone through all of that, He was willing to let it go. To take your shame and my shame, your guilt and my guilt upon Himself, all sickness and disease and sin upon Himself. And on that cross, pour the wrath of God for all our our judgment out upon Him. And He did it for the souls of even the men that drove the nails in His hands. For God so loved the world that. Let's pray. Father, as we go through this rest of this holiday season, may the words we've heard this morning impact our hearts and recognize that the giving that we do is not an obligation, just as the giving you gave to us was not an obligation. But you gave to us your Son, because of how much you loved us, how precious we were to you. Father, in this Christmas season, may this Christmas, the heart of your love and of your giving, become strong in our hearts. 
And may our hearts be softened and changed to the needs of people around us so that the love that you've put in us, we may be willing to give away to others. In Jesus' name, amen.